Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Hearing in Colour with Matt Simon. Today I'm going to be looking at 80s TV shows and wondering, were they written on drugs? First up is Super Ted. This came out in 1983, was written by a Welsh writer. And basically there's a teddy bear whose space alien friend gave him some magic dust and now he can fly. So, hmm, let's look into that. Every superhero has an origin story and Super Ted is no exception. So he was made in a toy factory and there was something wrong with him so he was thrown away like rubbish. And he was basically chucked in the basement and the bin and this yellow alien who looks like a banana with yellow spots and a little red Mohican picked him up, gave him some magic dust and then took him to a cloud where Mother Nature then gave him a secret word. And uh, when he says this secret word, which nobody knows, it then turns him into a super Ted. So like Superman, he rips his shirt open and then there's an outfit underneath and then he can do all this superhero stuff. Breathing in magic dust so you can fly though. Hmm. I mean, come on. Although to be fair, the flying mechanics in the show do work pretty well. He's got some little rocket boosters on his feet like Iron Man and Spotty, his banana shaped friend, has a jetpack which he uses quite well. So at least they can fly. My dad used to be a physics teacher, and for Superman, he'd often say, but what provides the propulsion? You know, how does he go forward? Which is a good point, because is he jumping, or that wouldn't really work, because he can change direction, so is it some gravity manipulation? It's never really discussed, it's just he can fly. At least in Super Ted, he's got these little rocket boosters on his feet, so that does make sense. Every good story needs antagonists, so who are the enemies in Super Ted? Well, there are three. There is Texas Pete, and he's a Texas cowboy with a southern drawl, and he's a pretty good character, actually. There's Bulk, who's this fat, brainless henchman. Yeah, fairly standard. But then they need another character. What do they come up with? A gay skeleton. Why a gay skeleton? He's also wearing pink and red slippers as well. And what do they call him? Skeleton. Brilliant. Generally, the episodes revolve around these three stealing something, although not every time, and then Super Ted comes and stops them. Although, there was one episode, I didn't watch all of them, but I've done a little bit of research. YouTube! And, basically, they had a driving lesson. Super Ted was trying to teach Spotty how to drive, um, which is very... Why would they do that when they can both fly? The evildoers steal a car, ends up being Super Ted's car, because they're going to rob a bank, and then they don't realise it's leaking brake fluid, so there's no brakes, and it crashes, and then, yeah, eventually they get the car repaired, and Super Ted tries to teach Spotty to drive again, and he ends up almost crashing it into the sea, and they're like, yeah, let's just not do this anymore. But you can fly! Why would you drive when you can fly? So I'm dealing more with the concept of the shows, where they conceived on drugs, not necessarily the execution, because... Uh, production values are quite good, the music's quite good, uh, but just, yeah, a teddy who has magic dust and flies. Right, okay. So, according to my research, Wikipedia! Originally, these stories were to help the author's son get over his fear of the dark, and it was about a bear who was afraid of the dark and went into the woods, and Mother Nature gave him a magic wand, and then it turned him into Super Ted. But then somehow, between this then becoming a TV series, I imagine a lot of TV executives were, yeah, but we need a... Oh, some other, we need, uh, not not a magic wand. We've got to come up with some other idea to, oh, you finished with that? Maybe we could uh, change the character a little bit. I haven't watched it in the original Welsh, but in the English version, he's very posh, very middle class, and his, oh no, sayings, um, he alliterates fruit. So he's rippling raspberries, or pulsating prunes, uh, jumping jelly beans. 
Hmm, it's uh, <laughs> it was a different time. So, was this created on drugs? I'm going to give that a percentage score of 54. Originally it wasn't, but I think there's a good chance that some of the TV executives and the creative team bringing it to the animation series definitely had an input in that, and I think some of them definitely, yes, had um, powdery weekend hobbies. Next up we have The Gummy Bears. This was a Disney series that first aired in 1985 and was the first big hit series uh, from Disney. So according to the backstory, the humans, a while ago, craved the magical and mechanical advancements of the gummy bears, which forced them into hiding. And now, to protect themselves, they brew magic gummy juice made from the gummy bears. This magic juice, alright, gives them some superpowers. Basically, when the gummy bears have the juice, they can just bounce out of trouble. But when the humans eat the juice, or drink the juice, it gives them superhuman strength. This could be considered a performance-enhancing drug, but I think in the context of this show, it's more just a mechanism for them to fight the man. They are very much the underdogs in this series. And whilst it is magic juice that sends them bouncing off the walls, really this could be compared to sugar, especially when given to kids. Also because they just want to stay out of the way and wait for a more peaceful time before they can live more in harmony with the humans. They're not really using the drug, the drug, uh, the gummy juice, to for any nefarious means or to take anything over. They just really want to stay out of the way. So, yeah, I don't think it really falls into the drug category. It was a Disney show, had, must have had a large budget and quite a famous theme tune, which was sung by one of the singers from Toto. There's lots of different characters, ogres, trolls and things, uh, and they're set in a medieval setting, so there's a king and a princess. Also, the consumption of the juice is not really the central theme of the show. Like in something like Popeye, where you're basically just waiting for him to crank open that spinach and then everything can happen. It's quite formulaic. But there's so many th different things going on that I would say that the, let's say the drug percentage chance for this one, I'm going to give it a low 22% on this because it's not really much the theme, but people generally do a lot more drugs than you think. Okay, for our next entry, let's go back all the way to 1969. So this is a TV show called The Clangers, and the little characters look like pigs, but they're basically these little pink mice without tails, and they live on somewhere that looks like the moon. But what do they eat on the moon? Soup. And where is the soup? Underground. And how do they get to the soup? The soup dragon helps. But there's more. Don't judge them yet. How do they communicate? By whistling. So there's a small family of clangers, there's the granny, the parents and a kid, and there's also the soup dragon, which helps them get soup. Uh, there's froglets, which are, the, they look like little oranges on legs. Uh, there's three of them and they don't look like frogs. There's a cloud that rains musical notes, and uh, music trees that produce notes. There's the iron chicken, uh, there's also sky moos, which are large flying blue cows. There are the sky moos, which are aerodynamically impossible flying cows. Uh, there's also there's also some other mad stuff. There's like these little horn things called the hoots that turned up. They look like little tubers on legs, and they communicate by the brass sounds, and that's scored in the music, which is actually really well done. This does sound pretty mad. I remember watching it as a kid. Uh, I think my mum liked it more than I did. Um, I felt it was a little bit slow, but looking back at it now, it's stop-motion animation, and it's quite sweet the way it's done. I guess they were using all the props and things available. Obviously CGI wasn't available back then. And the the characters look a little bit dated, but it does look very sweet and it's got a very nice vibe to it. 
in episode four, the iron chicken lays an egg and musical notes come out of it. And so one of the clangers draws a musical stave on the wall and then puts the notes on. And he even puts a ledger line, which is correct. But if you're playing along, uh, it's in the key of D major. So they forgot to put the key signature on the side of that. So remember your C sharp and your F sharp. You can see that a team of people put a lot of care into this and it wasn't just some psychedelic trip. But where did it come from? Well, there was originally a book called Nog in the Nog, and this was basically a mouse spaceship crashed down and needs some fuel. He said, I need vinegar and soap flakes. So they helped him out, put some vinegar and soap flakes in his spaceship, and he took off and left a smelly cloud and covered the town in bubbles, uh, which is nice. On the surface, it does look a little bit mad, but there's such a niceness to it that I can't really equate this to drug-fueled lunacy. They're pink mice who live on the moon, and the doors to their little tunnels are dustbin lids, hence clangers, and they wear armour to protect them from falling space debris. And the speaking whistles, they're like, yep, yeah, I'm okay with that. A chance of this being drug fueled, I would give it a 17%. Okay, next up, we're going to 1980, and this was Button Moon. This was a little bit weird. There's basically um, a family who live on the junk planet and they're made up of what looks like kitchen items. There's Mr. Spoon who is some boots, uh, a bottle for a body, he's got some wooden spoons for his arms and then some dishes for his face. Then he has a wife and a small child, a tea and a teaspoon and his wife. And he gets a spaceship which looks like a tin of baked beans with a funnel on the top and he flies up through blanket sky to button moon. And when he gets there, he finds the bottle army. They're commanded by the major, and they're, most of the bottles are the same size. There's a little one at the back called Little Bottle, I think. It's it, <laughs> it's puppets. Uh, it's quite well done because um, it's not stop motion animation. So because it's live action, so to speak, uh, goes along at a good pace. And it's a bit odd. He gets to the moon in the first episode and looks through a telescope, and he, he's met by Hoover, who's clearing up stardust. Mm, okay and looks at a telescope and shows the hoover through the telescope and it sees three little pigs and it plays out the story of the three little pigs. It was originally conceived as a puppet show but then was later developed into a TV show. This has some very creative ideas. I'm just going to read out some episode descriptions from IMDb. It's from season one. The duck who forgot what he was. When Mr. Spoon arrives on Button Moon he finds that a kitchen dresser has landed there. He helps some teacups that have lost their saucers. Through the telescope, he watches a duck that is having an identity crisis. And that was released 19th of Jan, 1981. That's pretty wild. Um, here's another one. The grasshopper and the ants. Mr. Spoon flies off to Button Moon and sees Captain Large in his new castle. That's the bottle army. Mr. Spoon watches Sergeant Banger and his army of sausages exercising. Then he watches the classic story of the ants and the grasshopper via his telescope. This is some pretty wild stuff, but... Pretty creative. This reminds me of a Frank Zappa interview I watched. Uh, he was basically saying that in the 50s and 60s, the the A&R, which is the artists and repertoire, they're basically the talent scouts of the record companies. They were a lot more, not lenient, but uh, experimental um, with looking for new artists. So they'd basically give things a try, and there wasn't this old guard yet. Um, nowadays, things come a lot more formulaic, and if you watch any of Rick Beato's videos, you see that even like the production things, everything's like crunched down to these commercial building blocks and record companies don't want to gamble away a lot of money on uh, producing new music. So they're generally taking it very safe and new artists are being produced and 
made to sound pretty much the same as everything else just to make sure that it fits the right sound. This kind of creativity I don't think you'd see in uh, a modern TV series, so hats off to that. So drug percentage, I'm going to give this one a 25. Um, I mean, an episode on the moon where a duck has an identity crisis, that's not normal, but I imagine there's a team of people working on this and at least one of them definitely had a few J's on the weekend. Time for a quick ad. Do you like free money? Who doesn't? Sign up today for a free crypto.com debit card and you and I get $25 each. Also, you get between 1% and 8% cash back in crypto. Link in the show notes. Okay, back to the 60s again for the magic roundabout. I think you knew this one was coming. Now, this is pretty mad, but the mad thing about this is not necessarily the content of the story or the fact that the content of the story was not fixed. It kept changing. It was originally a French series called Le Ménage Enchanté, which means the magic roundabout. And when the English dub version of this was produced, uh, the BBC just decided, you know what, don't worry about the script, just make something up. So a guy called Eric Thompson uh, narrated these, and he just literally made up what was happening. So generally there was a little dog, there was a cow, there's a train, uh, a guy called Zebedee who has a spring instead of legs. Um, Yeah, it doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense. And then... There's a guy called Mr. Rusty in the English version who operates the magic roundabouts. And there's the magic roundabout and the magic garden, which are two separate locations. We don't know how far apart they are. Uh, they teleport because presumably it's quite far. And it, it's it's strange, yeah. It was broadcast in the UK just before the six o'clock news and it became massively popular with adults and children. And after a while they'd redubbed some of the episodes because some of the ones that were done by Eric Thompson were then overdubbed by Nigel Planer and it's a completely different story I've just watched one where it's about an alarm clock and the dog is circling the trees like he normally does and the girl Florence comes along and they can hear an alarm clock and then it turns up and there's a snail and then a discussion and then the alarm clock walks around to where a rabbit or there's a rabbit called Dylan apparently it's based on Bob Dylan or named after him sleeping rabbit under a tree and the alarm clock can't wake him up and it's a completely different script from the one that Eric Thompson did to the one from Nigel Planer which is crazy because they just ignored what was going on or the intent and just said well I think this is going to happen just just do it just dub it and um, just see what happens that in itself is pretty crazy it's been rebooted and there's more modern versions with CGI and it seems a lot more calm like a sort of no- normal kids TV series it looks more like a modern kids animation series whereas this was a stop motion animation the there was a dog that just looked like a little mop um that didn't really move much there's a train which had some animation uh there's a cow that to me looked confused but i don't know if it was meant to the english versions seem a bit more subdued uh, the french ones got a bit more energy in it and it's translated into portuguese and italy la giostra encantata and portugal carousel magico <laughs> Germany and Austria, das Zauberkarussell. I just find it fascinating that they weren't remotely bothered about what the original intent of the show was. They just decided, yep, just going to dub it. This to me seems a little bit like um, when someone writes a song and you ask them what it's about and they say like, oh, but what does it mean to you? Or some abstract art and you, but but what do you think it means? Like, art is a medium for emotion. It's a form of communication. So 
you're either expressing yourself or trying to communicate things to other people. So I feel that when people say, oh, but what does it mean to you? It's just being really lazy. This, though, is almost like, um, it's like comedy. You may have seen some panel shows like uh, Mock the Week, which is a UK TV show, and sometimes one of the comedians, Hugh Dennis, will just narrate a news clip and put voices over what's happening, like usually the royal family or some celebrities and politicians. And this is essentially the same thing, because someone has watched this footage and thought, Right, yep, there's a dog, uh, there's a little alarm clock on legs, and a snail comes along, and let's just have a conversation between all of them. And this was very popular. Is it worth watching? Well, if you like being confused, yeah. There were some questionable decisions made across all of this, from the original conception to translations, re-narrations, so I'm going to give this a rating of 75. Before we finish on the final one, which is absolutely batshit mental... Let's have some honourable mentions. He-Man! A prince with a magic sword who turns himself into an absolute boss. Yep, I can get along with that. And it's uh, a bit of a pet juice for his cat, which was um, Cringer, I think. And then which turned into Battle Cat. He fought Skeletor, who was a suspiciously ripped skeleton. He was basically not a skeleton, but only from the neck up. So a bit like Ghost Rider, but with more muscles and without the flaming skull. But it's pretty cool. Although there was one of the enemies, uh, was a sorceress, called Evil Lynn. What's her name? Lynn. Really? Just Lynn? Oh no, she's evil. Okay, well what should we call her? Evil Lynn. Brilliant. Classic theme tune though. Another one, Transformers. Absolute classic. The series really was just to sell the toys and what cool toys they were. Little robots that could turn into humanoid shapes from vehicles. It's, uh, I always thought it was a little bit weird because uh, when they crash-landed on Earth, the, it was all scattered and the the computer program, whatever that was called, um, basically put them back together and gave them shapes that would be more suited to Earth and so they could transform into those. But then it split them into two factions, which was the Autobots and the Decepticons, uh, and then they fought. But why would it do that? It doesn't seem to make sense, although you wouldn't have a storyline without that. Banana Man. I really enjoyed watching this. The premise of the show is basically there's a young boy and when he eats a banana he turns into a full adult who can fly with super strength. This, yep, and his best friend's a crow (laughs) who carries around spare bananas somewhere just in case he needs them in the middle of a fight or if he's lagging a little bit. (laughs) This does sound pretty weird but it was quite good fun to watch. There's also Apple Man, rotten to the core, and the local police chief who always phones up Eric, the guy, and say, oh, we need Banana Man's help. And he doesn't know that Eric is Banana Man, but then why would he know? Why would he suspect? Why would you suspect that a child is an adult superhero? There's Dr. Gloom and General Bright with some of the enemies. The thing is, these weren't magic bananas. They were just regular bananas. So whenever he ate a banana, he turned into Banana Man. So the, the magic is inside himself. Maybe that's a message for all of us. The magic is inside of you. Thundercats, another belter awesome theme tune and some cool little guitar solos in there. Not really drug related, just one of the all-time classic shows. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, or if you're in America, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Another classic, brilliant theme tune. Little Mini Turtles came into contact with some toxic waste, developed into these um, humanoid turtles. Yep, fine, cool with that. Taught by a talking rat, yep, cool. These all make fair amount of sense, but do you know what does not make sense? The Teletubbies. I can only imagine how this was pitched, how I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall of this board meeting. I think that they were basically running low on ideas and the research team 
We're given the assignment, um, ran out of ideas, went to the pub, got smashed, went back to someone else's house and just had an absolute night of it and then came in in the morning and didn't really have any ideas. They'd scrolled down a few things and then had to present them at the meeting the next day. And I can only imagine that it went like this. Okay, guys, what have you got for me? We need a new TV show, a new kids one. Give me all your ideas. Uh, well, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's four of them. Four of what? Uh, they're big, colourful characters. Okay. And uh, are the different sizes? Yep. Okay. And um, yeah, the different colours. Yep. Okay. And uh, where do they live? Um, on uh, a golf course, really? They, they live on the golf course? Well, no, there's like inside, it looks a bit like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. It's like a space thing. Um, yeah. And what do they do? Well, we're going to aim it for very small children, so not a lot, really. Um, okay, anything else? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, just quick check the notes, uh, periscopes, periscopes, uh, is this underwater? N- no, no, it's on the golf course. Um, the periscopes, they, they talk, and that's pretty much the only thing that will talk in the whole episode. And, okay, uh, what else do we have? Um, rabbits, rab- right, okay, and what do the rabbits do? Uh, nothing. Right, um, is it any other characters? Yeah. There's there's a Hoover, right? Um, brilliant. Anything else? Yeah, the son's a baby. Right, guys. Thanks for that. This is going to be uh, this really fun pitching this um, to my managers after this. Great. Um, what we're going to call this? Um, uh, I don't know. Um, but they've oh one thing we forgot. Yeah, they've got um, a television screen in their stomachs. Right. Um, brilliant. Yeah. And oh, they're quite fat as well. Great. Okay. Um, Anything else you can tell me about this? Yep, they've got an antenna on the top of their heads and the tall one has a handbag. Wow, guys, uh, and I'm not saying that because I'm impressed. Um, I'm going to have to run this one at the flagpole and Chris, your team leader on this one, I know you've had a hard time since Linda left, but this is either going to be incredible or it's going to die on its ass. And if it does, you're getting fired. The Hoover, by the way, has he's got pink eyes. He looks like he's got bloodshot eyes, like he's been to Colombia for a month on a lottery winner's budget. I've done some research. Wikipedia. And apparently the green one has a slightly darker face because it's black and the red one is Cantonese and apparently mumbles a bit of Cantonese just for extra inclusivity. This is madness. There's no way that sane, sober human beings came up with this in a happy emotional state. Was this done on drugs? I'm going to give this one a 98.5 because it was either done while people were smashed out of the faces or it was actually written by children and then just pitched to the BBC who ran with it. Thanks for listening. The next episode is going to be about the energy of alcohol, the spirit of spirits. If you'd like to earn some passive income, download the Tapestry app, link in the show description. Whilst all your data is being sold around the world by the other apps, at least Tapestry gives you a cut. 